you guys hear me? No? Good? Volume is okay? Okay. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, man, you guys started early today, but it's okay. Uh, good afternoon. Yeah, I should say, yeah, very well. Yeah, very good afternoon. Welcome to The Eight, everyone. We are on our last part of our series titled, It's All in Your Head. Church, counseling, sports, social media. We all do stuff to try to make us happy. Like we all do stuff that try to make us happy, right? We do things, we do things, we do things, maybe just to keep us occupied, to keep us busy, but we're trying to reach happiness, right? We try to do so many different things. And the reality is, it's easier for us to try to do stuff for us to be happy as opposed to stopping the doing and running around, but for us to assess what's causing me in the first place for me to be unhappy, what's throwing me off balance mentally right? We were tempted to just do stuff to just to try to keep busy and try to ignore the problem, brush it under the rug, right? Is that the saying? Brush it under the rug. Just try to run away from it and be occupied so I don't have to think about the issue. And I just doing stuff, scroll away, watch away, vacation away, you name it, right? I'm just trying to keep busy. But the reality is instead of me trying to do stuff to try to run away from the issue, I need to assess what's causing me to be off balance in the first place. So it's all in our head, the issues that throw us off or throw us off balance. But the reality is, unfortunately, it's not just in our head. Not only does it impact you, the stress and the anxiety and the issues that we go through mentally, it impacts the most important relationships around us. It affects us at work. It throws us off balance in every aspect. You already know this, and we've been kind of teasing this out for several weeks here. Our thoughts spark emotion. Our thoughts spark emotion. It's not that person. It's not that thing. It's not the economy. It's not your finance. No, it's a thought that's sparking the emotion. So this entire series is us trying to get to the bottom of our thoughts. What's causing us to be off balance? We're trying to nip it at the bud before thinking of us, thinking of, of our activities or things we do that's throwing us off balance or making us stressed. No, let's assess and do a diagnostic state of our thoughts. So week one, this is our, 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 our fourth part of our series here. First one, we looked at anxiety, how anxiety throws us off and how we can cope with it. And then, the, and then the second week, we talked about the victim mindset, right? The victim mindset, it's like, woe is me. I'm a party pooper because everyone else, I'm the Debbie Downer, I mean. Everyone else is wrong, like, and I'm the victim, right? I have found to this because of my upbringing, because of trauma, because of whatever, and I'm the victim of all of this. And then last week, we talked about negativity, how just having a negative mindset, which is all our tendency is to lean toward negativity. Our, 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 just our brokenness, we lean toward looking things from a negative lens, but we are divinely designed to look at things not necessarily from a negative lens, and we looked at different strategies and tactics for us to be able to look at things from a positive lens. So for our last part of our series, of the mind traps that get the best of us is the mind trap of having the mindset of being all or nothing, all or nothing. We think it's either black or white, left or right, right or wrong, and we, we try so hard to do something, we failed, I'm an utter failure, I'm dumb, I'm worthless, and we just jump to that conclusion, and that me mental trap of being all or nothing gets the best of every single one of us. Personally. To me, the first example that comes to mind with this mind trap of being all or nothing is preaching. 
I put a lot of, lot, a lot, a lot of energy and focus and effort into preaching. Like, for many different reasons, like, I feel like I want to, like, continue to build that up. I, I, Monday morning, I'm thinking about what we're going to preach next week. I'm, I'm always, always, always on the go of thinking, right? Even when I first started preaching, before I was a, a priest, like, and, and my spiritual father, Father Anthony, was kind of discipling me, training me, giving me tactics, giving me lessons so I can be a better public communicator, <laughs> You know, close your ears if this is too much TMI, but every Sunday morning before I preach, I'm sitting in the bathroom for, for a long time. I was just so nervous. Like, it's just because it's not my thing, and he would just critique me and build me up. And I just take, even until today, I take it extremely, extremely, extremely serious. So what do I do? Honestly, you can ask Sarah, my wife. I have a hard time sleeping on Sunday night because I'm replaying two sermons in my head, and I'm looking at my notes, I'm like, ah, oh, I should have looked down to say that part, I for- totally forgot to say that, why did I look up, I should have added this example, or that's not enough analogies for that, I should have made that more clear, I should have paused right here, I should have thought of that transition better, and I'm overanalyzing all those points, right, that, I don't know, that's just, uh, don't judge me, that's just, uh, that's just me when it comes to public speaking, and to me, I'm in the all or nothing category, like, I don't think it's a pride thing. Like, I know when I prepared well and I put enough energy and effort and I thought through the transitions, the jokes, the whole bit, I, I thought of all of that. And it, hit, it hits home to me. And I'm like, you know what? I, 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 I feel my heart. I, I, I answered God's calling. I utilized the gift that God has given me. I did a good job of communicating God's eternal word to the book. I made it uh, digestible, tangible for people. And I feel my heart like I, I did my part. But there's sometimes, honestly, on Sunday night, I feel like an utter failure. What did I do this past week? How come I didn't put enough energy in it? I didn't even understand what I was saying myself. How can the people understand what I was trying to say? And I beat myself up. I fall into the all or nothing mindset when it comes to preaching. It's either I did very, very well or I didn't do good at all. And I fall into that trap, me specifically, as far as the all or nothing. Just two weeks ago, like we, most nights, Sarah and I, we pray with Ruth before she goes to bed. And, uh, you know, she prays and um, she asks me, Daddy, why are we praying? I'm like, what? Like, that's what we do at night. We pray before we go to bed. Well, Ryan at school told, I shouldn't say the name because just in case they're watching, but, right, right. Well, Ryan, well, Ryan, well, it's too late. But Ryan tells me, you know, uh, you know, there is no God. Like, there's no need to pray. And I go, who's this Ryan? But is this a guy or a girl? And I'm asking all these questions. So we put her to bed. We go downstairs. What's the very first thing Sarah and I Google? Private school. Well, that's it. No more public school. And we, we jumped to a conclusion. It was an all or nothing thing. Like just, she's five, and, five years old. And, and her friend is five years old. Her friend says something. I, don't, I mean, I don't know if it's miscommunication or whatever. I, I don't know who this Ryan person is. I don't even know boy or girl, to be honest. But it, it, this person told my, my daughter, no need to pray. There is no God. And now she's questioning us praying. And then I jumped to a conclusion. That's it. We're, no more Ms. Virus class. I should stop saying names. No more of this teacher's class. We're going to private school. We're jumping straight into private school. No more. I ju- and, and naturally, it's all or nothing mentality. I jump to that conclusion. I instantly fa- fe- felt, not just me, but Sarah and I, we both felt like we failed. We failed. Here she is. Like, she's in there. There's no God. What have we done wrong? What ha- where have we failed as parents, right? You begin to just analyze everything, right? We've, we've done everything wrong. Everything's going to fall apart. She's not going to be a follower of Jesus. All this kind of stuff just because of that one comment she made. Many people fall into this trap of the all or nothing when it comes to dating. A date, that first date goes well. That you get that, you get that follow-up text that everything's great. You want to go for that second date and everything's going well. And all of a sudden, that second date, things do not go well. And the person says, that's the end of that. All of a sudden, you felt like you're, all, you know, you're, you're the man, right? You felt everything's going well. And all of a sudden, it doesn't then you feel worthless. 
You feel like you have no purpose. You feel like you've lost your identity. It's easy to go from one to the other, the all or nothing, just by that one person saying, you know, it's not going to work between us two. Maybe people feel like, maybe you feel like this when it comes to exercising or diet. I'm, I'm going to be serious about being more healthy. I'm going to be more conscious about what I eat. I'm going to be more conscious of that quiet time with God. I'm going to be more conscious of you name it. And you, and you so you're all in, right? You got, the, you got the meals, you got the subscription, you got the whatever, and you're all in. Then that, 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 that dessert, then somebody at work pulls in, the, you know, the, the donuts in the break room, and you just say, you know, what, what's one, one donut going to do? And you eat the donut, you wet yourself, and you're like, I'm a failure. I'm done with dieting. And you just throw everything out. You throw everything out. The all or nothing mentality. Do you know who's the worst people on planet Earth when it comes to the all or nothing mentality? Religious people. Religious people are the worst. We are the worst people when it comes to the all or nothing. We want to be able to do X, Y, Z right, but if I do one thing wrong, I am the worst. I, 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 you know, I deserve God's wrath and avenge me, God, and, all, we're, we're the, and we just beat ourselves up and, because we're the worst. We jump from one extreme to the other. Because to be honest, in the Christian mindset, in most religions, our reflex, just how we're wired from God, we would rather have a list of things we need to do in order for us to be good boy, good girl, good Christian right? We want a list. We want to move in the direction of saying, so I need to get to church by this time, but not too early, right? I need to get by this time. I need to do this. I need to give this much, you know, after tax. I need to do X, Y, Z. I need to, I, I want, I want to have a list. I want to have a list of things I need to do. This, that, that, and then I feel, I'm a good Christian, right? We want a list. It, it, our mind naturally goes there. That's not just you and me. I mean, people were asking that question to Jesus from, from day one. Tell me. Tell me, Jesus, just make it super clear. I, I'm loving all the, the, the miracles. It's awesome. The five loaves and two fish. That was awesome lunch. Thank you. It's great. Just tell me. What do I need to do? Just tell me. What do I need to do? Just give, What's the bare minimum I need to go need to do just to get in through the back door? <laughs> They're looking for a quantitative answer. And Jesus' response to them, what? You need to love the Lord your God holistically. No, I know, but, but, but how much? Like, how many minutes of prayer? Like, what time do I need to get to church? Like, how, how much do I need to give, right? How, just tell me, what's the bare minimum? Tell me, what do I need to do? I think I'm a good guy, but what's the bare minimum I need to do, right? We're looking for a quantitative answer. We want to be all or nothing. We want something we're able to grasp. So religious people are, are the worst at falling into this trap because we, fall, we, we know it's right, what's wrong. If you do what's wrong, you're bad. You do what's right, you're good, right? But let me make this clear. Let me put this disclaimer. There are absolute truths. From the Christian worldview, there are truths. We know the one who is the, the way, the truth, and the life. There's no question. But we reduce that sometimes and just make it, if I do X, Y, Z good, I'm good. If I do all this one thing, I'm worthless, I'm bad. And we just fall into this dichotomy of either all or nothing. You know, my bad. I didn't even give you the definition of all or nothing. My bad. The tendency, all or nothing. It's the tendency to think, and so, see, I'm about to analyze this tonight, by the way, that I messed up on the, the, on the slide. But anyway, all or nothing. The tendency to think in terms of polar opposites without accepting the possibilities that lie between these two extremes. The tendency to think in terms of polar opposites without accepting the possibilities that lie between these two extremes extremes. This definition of all or nothing. But going back to the Christian worldview, from us 
to fight the temptation of going to this dichotomy mentality, good, bad, if I do this, I'm good, I'm good. If I do this, I'm bad. And instead of falling into that path, instead of falling into reducing it to just to those two things, a maturing faith, a maturing faith labels life and death, labels good and bad through a Christological lens. What on earth, Father Nate, are you saying? You make that word up? Christological lens. The root word is Christ, Jesus, right? So a maturing faith labels what's right, what's wrong through a Christological lens. Not my own definition of, of moral ethics, not society, not cultural, not what Instagram tells me what's right or wrong. No, not, not falling into the trap of my truth. No, there is an absolute, there is life and there's death. But what helps me label life and death is the one who says, I have come to give life. Not my own definition, but the one says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the fullness of life. This is who defines what is life and death. By the way, these are not my words. What hit me to say life and death, there's an early manuscript by the early church uh, fathers, and this manuscript is called the Didache, the Didache. It's just like 90 pages, very small. But in this document, the, the, uh, the apostles themselves write down in this, in this document, Right? This is after, you know, this is after Jesus ascended, and they're writing down various things in which they learned from Jesus. They're writing things that form the church in this document called the Didache. And their opening statement, written by the apostles themselves, their opening statement that they write in this document, the Didache, they write, there is life, there is death, and there is a huge difference between the two. Those are their words, the apostles. In this document, they talk about fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays. They talk about how to do baptisms. They talk about many things in which we practice 2,000 years later. But the opening statement of this document, the apostles themselves, first eyewitnesses, second eyewitnesses to Jesus himself, write down, there's life and there's death. But man, there is a huge, they didn't say the word man, but there's a huge difference between the two. There's life and death, but there's a huge difference between the two. A maturing faith labels what's right and what's wrong, what's morally appropriate and what's, what's immoral. Labels life and death through a Christological lens, not through society, not through evolution of what's uh, ex accepted or not accepted and everyone doing your own truth. No, through the one who is th the embodiment of God and man. That's the Christological lens. And here comes the most critical part. And fights the good fight. A maturing faith labels life and death through a Christological lens. We need to push in the direction of what's the absolute truth but then we fight the good fight. Not, I know what, what's right, and I did one thing wrong, so I'm the worst. No need to go to church, no need, God, I, I, no need to come to God because I'm the worst because I did that one thing wrong. No. Label what's li life and death. Label what's light and darkness through the lens of Jesus. But then fight the good fight. Fight the struggle and for us to push through. This, this is where growth happens, in the middle. But we need to label one and the other, label what's right, what's left. And for us not to just go into this dichotomy mentality of either all or nothing. There is no better person who embodies the struggle of the all or nothing mentality. And his name is Simon Peter. Simon Peter, this is the Coptic Orthodox icon of him. Uh, and you kind of see on the left there, you see a, a man on a cross. This is actually St. Peter. Uh, historians tell us that he was crucified upside down. Um, but that's, that's him and the icon there. 
But his name is Simon Peter. I thought it was cool. His birthday is year one, which is cool. It's kind of, kind of close like Jesus. But he lives about 64 years of age. But here comes a personality that's go-getter mentality, so bold, so zealous. You know, he's the first one to always speak up. You know, Jesus asks a rhetorical question. He's the first one to raise his hand, right? Like Saint Peter, that's just St. Peter. That's just his personality. He's always raising his hand. He's always the go-getter. He's kind of almost the leader of the pack, in, if you will, in a way. So his name is Simon Peter. And he was honestly an unlikely apostle, just his personality and his upbringing and who he was, but he was all in. But he fell into the trap of having the all or nothing mentality. I want to look at how he's introduced in history by one of the four Gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all written from a different perspective, but Matthew is written from a first eye perspective, from a first eyewitness perspective. Matthew, I love how he, he writes this, kind of introducing Simon Peter as being a, a, a disciple or a follower of Jesus. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. I, maybe it's just me. They were casting a net into the lake. Matthew, you don't need to add that they were fishermen. Of course, they were casting a net into the lake. Of course, what else were they doing? But, say, but, but Matthew adds that they were fishermen. I feel like it's unnecessary to add. Do you guys remember in school when you're like, you need to write a certain amount of words for an essay for school and you need to, you just start adding up words to the essay? This is what I feel like, this is what St. Matthew's doing. Right? That he's just adding. Of course, he, they're fishermen. Why would they be casting a net into the lake? So anyway, so Matthew kind of introduces uh, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew into the scene of them being followers of Jesus. And they were casting a net into the lake because obviously they were fishermen. Moving on, after we introduce Simon Peter. There was a time where Jesus and his disciples were walking. Again, Peter kind of being like that, I don't, I, with all respect, I don't want to say loud mouth, but he just he speaks up a lot, right? So he's kind of, they're all walking together, all the disciples, and they're walking together. And, and you know, Jesus kind of pulls, uh, he's, he, he's walking next to Peter. He says, Peter, you know, what are people saying about me around town? Like, well, what are they saying about me in Galilee? What are they saying about me in Nazareth? What, what, what's the talk of the town? What are they saying about me, you know, at, at, you know, at, at different places around town? And Peter's like, well, you know, Jesus, you know, some, some people are saying you're Moses. Some people say, like, you're Elijah coming back again. You know, people, there's, like, different things people are saying. And then Jesus says, okay, but who do you say that I am? And Peter was probably, I'm just assuming, you know, the external focus question, what people are saying, is one thing. He could jump to an answer. But then Jesus probably leans in toward Peter and kind of, I'm sure they stop walking. And, Peter, and Jesus asks him, like, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, I'm sure, pauses, and then he answers. He says, Jesus, you are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. And Jesus says, I like your answer. I mean, he didn't, you know. He says, on that reality of what you just said, upon this truth, I will build my church. What you just said. We're not, we're not doing a social club. We're not, we're not going to do we're not, we're not We're not doing just like a, a gathering on Sunday. No. Upon this reality will be the dynamic, eternal body of the church by what you just said. Peter continues to grow and follow Jesus over the coming months and years. And as things started to go down after that Last Supper, as things began to go down I should, you know, around the time of the Last Supper, as things began to go down, and, you know, people are starting to smell it in the air that something's about to go down or Jesus is about to be arrested. And here comes some guards coming. 
in the garden in the garden at night to know so it doesn't cause any 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 commotion here come some guards coming and they're about to arrest jesus jesus is not going to push back right he he surrendered himself already to god like if if they will so he kind of surrendered himself already at that point and then peter what does he do no you're not going to arrest my my savior you're not going to arrest my rabbi you're not going to arrest jesus he takes out a knife and he cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers and then Jesus kind of gives it to him, you know, not to fight with the sword. But you see the zeal in him. You see him standing up for Jesus, right? He's all or nothing, right? He goes all in and following Jesus. He always speaks up. He's always saying the right things. He's always doing the right things. Then comes the trials. They take Jesus away. You know, and here the Jewish leaders are hitting Jesus literally and with words accusing him of various things. They're trying to build a narrative, trying to build a case against Jesus. And they're building all this. But Peter, like, again, that's, that's Jesus. He wants to be next to Jesus, but and he's kind of like outside the court. And he's seeing outside, and, he's, and it's, it's at night. So he's next to a fireplace. He's trying to warm up next to the fireplace. And people are beginning, coming near next to Peter and be like, hey, aren't you, aren't you one of the 12, aren't you one of the guys that were with Jesus? Aren't you one of the disciples? What does Peter say? Uh, I, I don't know what you're talking about. That's his, that's his go-to. The guy who's all in. The guy who's ready to take a, take a life, take out a sword, and stab a soldier, cut his ear off, stand up for him. The one who said, probably months in advance, you are the son of the living God. Now people are asking him, aren't you? Aren't you the guy who's getting in, on trial right now? Aren't you with him? Aren't you? You look like you're from the same part of town. Aren't you one of them? And, Jesus, and St. Peter keeps on going. I don't know what you're talking about. All or nothing. And that tormented Peter. It tormented Peter. And just imagine. Everything unfolded. The trials, the crucifixion, the death, death, resurrection. Jesus ends up, after his resurrection, having breakfast, literal breakfast, with his disciples the next day on the beach. And Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, oh, right, he has the right, he has the Sunday school answer ready. Yeah, I love you. Jesus asks him, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, isn't you just, yeah, I, I said yeah. And then Peter, and then Jesus asks him again, do you love me? The third time Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Then Jesus said, okay, put your love into action. You love me? Cool. I love your answer. Great, perfect Sunday school answer. Put it into action. Feed my sheep. I can imagine, like, I mean, again, this is not, you know, the, the gospel writers don't give us these details, but can you imagine Peter for a second? Literally, 72 hours before that, you are literally denying, saying, I don't know who that guy is. I don't know that. You probably mixed me up with somebody else. I don't know who he is, right? You just said that 72 hours before, and here he is with the risen Lord on the beach enjoying brunch, and he tells him, then Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And I'm sure like, it's hitting him. First time, it's talking to his head. You love me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You love me? Sure, yeah, I love you. The third time, 
He couldn't just answer it from his head. But he's saying, Lord, I, you know that I love you. Jesus is trying to get to his heart. As if Jesus knows that he struggles with this all or, all or nothing mentality. And he's trying to push him. Put your love into action. What I love about all of this. Through us seeing the weakness of Peter, seeing his insecurities, seeing his mind trap of being all or nothing, all of the, all the, like we see the highest and lows of Peter, right? Him speaking with confidence and bold and pulling out his knife to him denying Jesus. We see all of that. And Peter decides to tell Mark, Sam Mark, the beholder of God, Sam Mark, our patron Sam Mark, the founder of the Coptic Orthodox Church, Sam Mark, one of the 72 apostles, that, that Sam Mark, he tells him, Sam Mark, he said, hey, Mark, when you write the gospel, don't make myself look all that. R write the truth. Even if I look bad in the story, write that down. Peter understood. Peter understood that he's insecure. He understood his, his, his struggles. But he tells Mark, that's where Mark gets most of his information for him writing the gospel. He tells Mark, write all this down. Like, just to, just to show the authenticity and how genuine the gospels are. Peter had every right to tell Mark, hey, don't be writing that thing about me denying Jesus. Like, just omit that out. Just don't put in the footnote. Just, just pretend it never happened. No, Peter, he understood. He understood all his struggles. And he came with boldness. No, write that down. That's what happened. But I'm not defined by that. I overcame that mind trap. I overcame that all or nothing mentality. But do write that down in your records. I love it. I love it. Have you guys heard the saying before? It's not about the destination, it's the journey. You guys heard that before? I don't think I'm the biggest fan of it. I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan because maybe I'll tell you why, why I don't think I'm the biggest fan. Because now I see in just the cultural climate of society that they're trying to make morality and ethics an individualistic thing. Everyone has their own view of morals. I'm saying it's not, about the, it's, not, it's not about the destination, everyone's journey, everyone's their own truth, their own journey, what's right for them, right? And we see this kind of just taken out. And I, honestly, it makes sense. I ended up looking up where this, this quote came from. It came from somebody called Ralph Waldo Emerson, and he wrote a book called Self-Reliance. And the whole book, the whole, his whole ideology of what came up with this quote is that everyone is their own individual. Everyone has within them what's right or wrong. I mean, that can't be any farther from the truth. Like, it, for everyone to have their own moral or own code, no, it's all wired within us from above. So the whole idea of there being this relative evolving right or wrong, no. So it's, it, it, it's not about the destination, it's the journey. I get it. But there is a destination. <laughs> There is a destination. It cannot just be about the journey or, and, 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 and just say, oh, it's just about the journey. I'm just, I'm, I'm finding myself cool. But where are you going to? Like there has to be, no, tell me, does this apply to any other aspect of life? Hey, you, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're gonna get in your car after church. And somebody asks, where are you going? What's the address? Guys, it's not about the address. It's about the journey. You don't do that. You don't do that about anything. I'm looking for a job. What job are you looking for? It's not about the job. It's about the journey. I'm just gonna click away and just gonna look. You know, it, does this apply to any other aspect of life? Does somebody go, I'm, I'm, I'm a freshman in college, I go to college, what class do you sign up for? It's about the journey, whatever it comes in. Does this apply to any other aspect of life? To me, what's the, I, this is just mine. This, um, me, I want to be led throughout the way to be like you. I'm, I'm pulling on liturgical text here of the, of the ancient church. I want to be led throughout the way I want to be led for this to be my destination. 
But I will fall. I will struggle. I will push through. I will fight the good fight. I don't want to fall into the trap of all or nothing. That if I do one good sermon, I'm good. If I help this one person, I'm good. But if I struggle with this one sin, I'm bad. No, I'm not going to fall into that trap. I've pushed through. I want to be led throughout the way to be like you. Not you. You. This is our journey. Peter finally got this. But the all or nothing mentality definitely got the best of him. We love dichotomy thinking. We love it. We'd rather, you're, are you this or are you that, right? Come on, just look at the news, right? We love that. We want to reduce and simplify things, this or that. Oh, if you're that, I, I, no, it's easy. Our mind wants to go in that direction. I can't speak for other worldviews, but the fullness of all worldviews, the movement of Christianity, Jesus didn't come. Just, just label, this is all, this is nothing. Good luck. Just so you can understand the spiritual formation of Peter to see how he grew, grew out of this. This is what St. Peter's writing to a group of early Christians. He tells them this. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope. And I want to pause right there. He's saying, make sure your mind, like any cloudiness, any fuzziness, any negative mindset, any victim mindset, any anxiety, like make sure, make sure you're aware of it. Diagnose those things. Don't try to brush, brush it to the side. Don't try to push through it, but label it and bring that to God. Make sure that your mind is alert and fully sober and set your hope. Many worldviews can complete this in a different way. Set your hope on your truth. Be hopeful, period, full stop. But for us in the Christian worldview, it is a divine reality in someone who is the truth. With your minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. He didn't just say set your hope on Jesus, but he pulls out one aspect of God, saying the grace. You know what grace is? Grace is something in which you and I do not deserve. Grace is that when we continue to mess up and we continue to fall short and we get that, that undeserved favor, that's grace. But you can't expect it. Like, you, I, you can't expect a surprise birthday party for you, right? That, that, that goes against the context. And the same thing with grace. It's something we expect. But when we come and we say, I'm pushing through to be led throughout the way to be like you, even when I fall short, that grace that God shows me, that grace in which you and I are supposed to lean to the person next to you, the person that's getting on your case, the person that's beating you down, to extend that grace, that unfavored, undeserved favor. Something we pray liturgically. Even, even in, in, in the common prayer book titled the Agbeah. Well, let it be according to your mercy. Let it be according to your grace, not according to what I do right, not according to what I do wrong. Let it be by your mercy. Let it be according to your grace. Let us push past the mentality of the all or nothing. Am I good or bad? But let us push past that. Here's our destination. Let the journey be us fighting the good fight. Let that be our journey. Think about it. When his disciples asked Jesus, what are you praying? Like, you go by your side and you have quiet time. What on earth are you saying? 
Jesus tells him, okay, cool. I, I'm glad you asked. Let me teach you the Lord's Prayer. Out of anything else Jesus could have added in a 40-second prayer, Jesus tells him to say, lead us. Lead us not into temptation. Lead is dynamic. It's ongoing. It's pushing forward. It's not static, left or right, right or wrong. Let's label right and wrong, but let's push through and not lose hope. Even as we pray liturgically, lead us throughout the way into your kingdom. Let this be our mentality. Let us not reduce it down to an all or nothing. We saw what happened to Peter when he reduced it to all or nothing. It brought him down into depression. He felt it was worthless. He felt guilt. He felt shame. He felt, but that became part of his story, but that it did not define him. For us, our, our mind struggles, our mind traps that get the best of us. I pray as we wrap up this series that we can just assess our struggles, come to God with those mind traps that's all in our head, and, and let's nip it at the bud and come to God with those and diagnose it, assess it, and bring that to God. Let's stand for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, any sins or mentalities that we have, negative mentalities that we have, ones we are aware of, those in which we are not aware of, those in which we do willingly, and those in which we do unwillingly. Lord, every aspect of our heart, every aspect of our mental struggles, Lord, we are coming to you with those. You being the true physician of our souls, bodies, and spirits. Lord, we live in a world with all the noise going 100 miles per hour. We never have time to assess what are those mental struggles that are getting the best of me. If it's anxiety, the victim mindset, negativity, the all or nothing mentality, Lord, they, they are pulling at us to some degree for all of us. But Lord, I pray that through this series that it's not just content that we hear, but it resonates within us for us to be able to assess ourselves, for your Holy Spirit to work within us, to convict us, to open the eyes of our heart, to see where we might be blinded. Because it's not according to what we do good. It is not according to what we do bad. But it's who you say that we are. It is your mercy and it is your grace. And it's that in which we anchor ourselves to. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we all pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.